reading to um, Peter um, from verses 12 to 21. It can be found on page 860 in your pew Bible. So reading to Peter, starting at chapter 12. So I'll always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honour and glory from God the Father when the voice came down to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my son, whom I love, with whom, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on that sacred mountain. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and we will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a place, until the dawn dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation, for prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Well, let's pray, shall we? <clears throat> Father, we pray now that you would quieten our minds and our hearts and uh, pray that uh, what I speak would be true to your word and we pray that you would give us um, open minds and uh, teachable minds and flexible hearts. Pray the same for the children as they learn from your word. We ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. And you may like to open your Bibles at <clears throat> to Peter chapter 1 and uh, we'll be looking at verses 12 through to 21 today. But I want to start by asking you to just do some reflecting on your Christian life and I wonder if there's been times when you've been tempted to doubt whether or not the gospel is actually true. And I, I think it's a fair enough question to ask because uh, after all, the Bible makes some absolutely huge, momentous claims about Jesus, uh, such as the claim that Jesus is God, or the claim that the death of this particular man on a cross has actually paid the debt for uh, our sin, or the claim that this man, Jesus, rose from the dead, is now seated uh, in heaven and that one day he's going to come back and he's going to judge the whole world. I mean, these are absolutely huge claims, aren't they? I, I, I cannot think of any uh, bigger claim to make about a person than to claim that he is God. Uh, there is no greater claim that you can make about a person. And so... Uh, it's therefore not surprising to us that there, there might be times when we're 
we might be thinking, well, mm, is it really true? And we ought not to be surprised that uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, doubts and a lot of um, <clears throat> challenges uh, to our faith coming from other people, <clears throat> particularly uh, coming from those who are outside of the church. Uh, most Aussies believe that Jesus existed. Uh, most Aussies have got no trouble believing that there was a man whose name was Jesus who trod the, the roadways of, of Galilee and uh, Judea a couple of thousand years ago. Uh, and sure, that's true. But all of this stuff about him being God, all of this stuff about these amazing miracles, uh, then, you know, that kind of sounds a bit like a myth. Kind of sounds like Jesus was a good man, but that over the centuries that people have just kind of made up stories about him and they've added those stories into this book, which is called the Bible. Clever stories, which they say... Uh, have been, made it very easy for church leaders to control people's behaviour. I mean, after all, if you're saying that there was this man and he was God and that he's gone to heaven and one day he's going to come back and judge you, then that's a you know, way of modifying people's behaviour. Sometimes the challenges come from inside the church itself, um, <clears throat> from those... Uh, inside the church who actually don't believe that it was true, but also from people in the church who say that they believe the gospel, that it, it's no myth, but uh, that what they believe is that we need now to, to move on to newer and better things which, have, you know, which God is doing. Uh, so, for example, uh, a lady who I know often wants to talk to me when I see her about the new and exciting and spiritual sounding things which God is doing uh, in her church. And uh, sometimes after I've listened to her for a while, I might say something like, look, correct me if I'm wrong, but I actually haven't heard you saying very much about the fact that Jesus died for sins, the fact that he's raised from the dead, the fact that he's coming back again and just the issue of people actually putting their trust in that and, and, and repenting. Uh, I, I, you know, I haven't heard you say a whole lot about that. To which her response to me is quite interesting. She, she says, look, that, that's all assumed. Of, of course we believe that, but, but there are these new things that are happening. So in other words, they don't deny the gospel, they believe the gospel, but the gospel is moved off centre stage. You see what I'm saying? And that's, that, that becomes a challenge within the church itself. And so in 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, these verses from verse 12 to verse 21, the Apostle Peter knows that the that, that that his Christian friends are going to have to deal with these two issues. Are the claims about Jesus true? And if so, how central should they be to our faith? Now, he deals with that second question first. Uh, in verses 12 through to 15, 
you see that Peter actually would have no time for this idea that, that once someone is established in the gospel, that they therefore then move on to other things. And have a look at verse 12. Uh, verse 12, he says, So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. Now, of course, when a person first believes in the gospel, uh, that is the start of the Christian life. And uh, from, from then on, we do need to be, there is much, much more to learn about God, about Jesus, about the Christian life and so on. So we, we don't just keep on drinking milk all our lives as if we're, as if we're babies. Uh, you, you know, you start to need to be chewing on and digesting some meat. But that meat is not other stuff. It's not stuff that's divorced from the gospel itself. The meat is, this, is the, the deeper truths of the gospel and the, the, the truths that flow out from the gospel and into the way that we live our lives. And so Peter says, I know that you guys already believe the gospel. I know that. I know that. But I'm going to keep on hammering the gospel nevertheless. I'm not going to stop preaching the gospel. I'm going to keep on hammering the gospel. In fact, in verses 13 through to 15, he says, I'm actually going to keep on hammering the gospel to you until the day that I die. Now, let's talk about Peter's death for a few moments. Um, do you remember that Jesus once talked to Peter about his death? Um, after Jesus had risen from the dead <clears throat> and he'd met with his disciples, he uh, forgave Peter three times. And the reason that he forgave Peter three times was because Peter three times had denied that he even knew Jesus. And when Jesus was forgiving and reinstating Peter uh, in uh, in John's Gospel, chapter 21, uh, Jesus prophesied something about, John's, uh, about Peter's death. He prophesied that Peter would kind of die a way that you wouldn't really choose to die if you had your choice. Prophesied that uh, Peter would actually die the death of, of a martyr, that he would die because of his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his proclamation of the gospel, he would truly follow Jesus in that respect. And Peter, uh, we, the, the best estimate is that Peter wrote this book, this letter from Rome, and that he was there knowing that his death as a martyr would soon happen. And we, we see some hints of that in verse 13. If you take a look at verse 13, he says, I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. That's the promise that Jesus has made. Now, notice how he's described his own body. Uh, it's a tent. It's, it's temporary. Uh, it's not the permanent dwelling. Uh, in other words... Peter is confident that what awaits him after death is, is heaven and the, and the new heavenly perfect 
permanent body. Uh, this, this body is, is just a tent. And so we see embedded in that is the Christian hope, uh, the hope of eternity. Now, when people plan ahead for their death, uh, there's a way that you can do that responsibly, isn't there? Um, you sometimes watch daytime television. I've sometimes watched it and, man, oh, man, the number of ads they put on for preparing for your funeral plan, you know, and <clears throat> put three bucks a week into the funeral plan and, you know, you're set for, for death. <laughs> uh, you won't have to, you, you know, you can rest easy. Your family won't have to cough up with the bill, you know. And, and that's responsible, actually, isn't it? Uh, you know, people uh, do, responsible people do prepare so that their families are, are looked after and cared for after their death. What about spiritually, though? What about spiritually? Do we care for the people we love spiritually after our death? Peter here is planning ahead, isn't he, in that respect? Because he wants to keep on reminding his friends uh, about Jesus so that when he has departed, which he expects will soon happen, that they will be uh, firmly established, so firmly established that they will not move away from the gospel, that they will not uh, uh, dilute the gospel, that they will not be swayed by um, the things which sway us, materialism, pleasure-seeking and so on, but in particular, they won't move away from the gospel and onto other spiritualities, onto other things. Um, I've had Christian friends who have had terminal illnesses, as I'm sure some of you have as well. And it's really been uh, 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 worth thinking about and worth observing how, and it's been very deeply helpful to me, uh, to see how their gospel priorities have become even more obvious when they've known that they probably don't have long to live. Um, for example, uh, people who've had terminal cancer. You know, when knowing that their time is short, it's been interesting for me to see how their main goal has been to, to make sure that they keep on talking about Jesus and to make sure that the people whom they love, their family, their friends, people in their church, are firmly established in Christ. So that uh, when they've departed, that the gospel will live on in the hearts and the lives of the people who they care for. And that is exactly why Peter wrote this letter. He knows that he's soon going to be with the Lord and he wants to leave that kind of legacy. Uh, not only for them, um, but for us as well, as we're the recipients of this letter uh, as it's been passed on to us. Now, here's the second question, though. Why is it that... Uh, so, so the bottom line is that the gospel's got to be central. But the second question is, why is it that Peter was actually so confident in the gospel? I mean, why is it that uh, instead of, you know, um, retiring from Christian ministry, that uh, knowing that his death is not far away, that he's actually just as determined as ever 
to keep on hammering the gospel. Why is he so con- why does he want to reinforce it all of the time? Well, in verses 16 through to 18, it's because the gospel is true. That's why. Now, people say that you shouldn't believe the gospel because it's just a collection of myths. And indeed, in our society, when we want to evaluate the truthfulness of whether or not a particular incident happened, uh, what do we do? We go to court and we uh, look at evidence and we call witnesses, don't we? And we balance, we weigh up the testimony of witnesses. Well, have a look at verse 16. Peter says, We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He's saying, I saw it with my own eyes. Well, what did he see? Well, when Peter was with Jesus, he he saw many miracles, uh, including the resurrection, which is a pretty big one. But in verse 17 to 18, he remembers one miracle in particular that he experienced. Um, Verse 17, he says, For we received honour and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Now, what, what... miracle is he talking about? What do we call that miracle? It's called the, the transfiguration. Great. We actually looked at that a few weeks back, didn't we, uh, in Mark's Gospel. How about we just go back to Mark's Gospel for a moment, um, put a bulletin as a bookmark in 2 Peter, go back to Mark chapter 9, uh, when you'll see that on page seven hundred and. 14, thank you very much, uh, Dorothy. 714, now, just remember the context here, what's happened. Jesus has just talked to them about what's going to happen to him. He spelled it out. We're going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be betrayed, be handed over, put on trial, I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise again from the dead. And then take a look at uh, verse 1. And he said to them, I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. Now, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, there's a variety of different interpretations of what that means. I take it that what he's saying is that some of you who are here present will not have to die before you see the kingdom of God come. And then what does he do? Well, he picks three of them. James, John and Peter. He takes them up to a mountain and there on the top of the mountain, Jesus is transfigured. It's the word there is metamorphosized, whatever it is. He's he's changed, physically changed and he's... He's dazzlingly white. His clothes are dazzling, dazzlingly white. It's, it's not unlike the heavenly vision that John had and was recorded for us in Revelation chapter, chapter 1 of the Son of Man who was dazzlingly white. And there with Jesus, in fact talking with Jesus, appeared 
Moses and Elijah, two men from hundreds of years back. Moses, who is the great representative of the law, he is the lawgiver, and Elijah, who is the representative of the prophets. So there on the mountain, there is Jesus, dazzlingly white, uh, the law surrounded by the law and the prophets. It's a picture of the kingdom of God. It's a picture of God's king in all of his kingly glory. That's why I think Jesus says, some of you aren't going to have to die before you see the kingdom of God. And it was a stunning uh, moment for Peter that the three disciples were, were frightened. Uh, they didn't quite know what to make of it. And what he's saying is here is, is that he's saying, I was there. I was there. I, I, I saw it. If you go back to 2 Peter, he says, I saw it. We saw it. John and James and myself, we were there. And, and we heard a, a voice come down from, 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 open, from the majestic glory to say, this is my son whom I love. In him I am well pleased. We were there. We were eyewitnesses. And so you've got to make your, your choice about Peter and what he's saying here. Uh, because you wanna, you've got to ask the question, why should someone believe that Peter is not lying at this point? Because, you know, there's only three options as far as I can see it. You know, he's saying that I saw the transfigured Jesus. Apart from the fact that he saw all the other, many of the other miracles and he saw the resurrected Jesus, but there's, there's, you've got to make your choice about Peter. Is he, is he lying about this? Is he, was he deluded? I only thought he saw the transfigured Jesus? <laughs> James and John saw it as well. Or is he in fact telling us the truth? That this is in fact what happened? I, um, you, you've got you to ask the question. Um, you see, what I, what I do is I always encourage people, if they've got doubts about the, 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 the Christian gospel, to actually read one of the gospels for themselves. And read a letter like this and ask the question, what frame of mind do you think the person was in who wrote this? Does this sound like a con man? Uh, does this sound like a madman? Or does it sound like someone who's actually telling the truth? Well, consider the change that took place in the life of the disciples, the, the apostles and particularly Peter, who changed from being someone who denied that he even knew Jesus, and he denied that three times, to someone who spent the rest of his life at great cost to himself and for no worldly benefit, proclaiming this message, proclaiming the gospel, and was prepared to go for, to his death, standing up for the fact that this was actually a true account, that he was an eyewitness. 
So either he was a liar or he was a madman or he, what he's saying is true. So think about it for yourself. You've read through parts of 2 Peter. Does this sound like a letter that's been just the rantings of a con man or, or a madman? No, friends, the eyewitness accounts of Jesus actually give us very solid grounds for the gospel. And it's the same with the Old Testament prophets. Um, Verses 19 through to 21, let me read those for you. He goes on to say, And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation, For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, in the Old Testament, God raised up many prophets who spoke his word. I think that in our contemporary Christian culture that the role of a prophet is sometimes misunderstood. Um, look to be crass about it. Sometimes you hear these guys who roll into town, set up their show, uh, promise that they're going to be giving prophecies. You go along, you pay your money, you get... And they're like fortune tellers, you know, who will specifically take you aside and tell you what God's got in plan for you, for your, you know, for your marriage and for your business and for your family life and so on. And then they roll out of town. I don't think that's, that's not... Old Testament prophecy is about declaring the great truth. Old Testament prophets were never popular. They were deeply unpopular because the message that they proclaimed was the message of God's holiness, the message of our sinfulness, the message of, the, of, of, the, of impending judgment, the need to repent, and God's merciful promise of forgiveness for those who do repent. Uh, You read through the prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, that's what it's all about. In fact, it's not unlike preaching the gospel, is it? But one of the things which the the prophets had in common was that over hundreds of years, many prophets spoke about a day in the future when God himself would come to his people as king, as judge, as saviour. And uh, it's referred to in the Old Testament as Messiah, in the New Testament as Christ, as God's anointed one. And some of these prophets who were prophesying about the coming of the anointed one would not have even been aware of what the other prophets had prophesied. And yet we we can see, we've got it all. We can see how consistent and how connected these prophecies were. Um, In verses 20 to 21, we see that uh, in the same way that Peter didn't make up stuff about Jesus, well, neither did the prophets. Their prophecies came about as God's spirit moved them. Um, The 
word for moving there is the same word that's used elsewhere for uh, the the wind that um, that moves the the sailing boat through the through its mast. Um, in Peter's other letter, in 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 10 to 12, Peter says that what they were prophesying about the coming of the Lord's anointed one was actually a mystery to, to these prophets, that they did not know the exact time and the circumstance in which what they were saying would be fulfilled. But we do. In verse 19, the message of the prophets has been made even more clear. Do you see that? It's been made more clear because we now know those things which even angels long to see. We now know those things which the, the prophets spoke about but didn't quite understand how it was going to come to fruition. We now know these things because we have the full knowledge of Jesus in the gospel, because we live this side of the resurrection of Jesus. It's no coincidence. It's no coincidence that these prophets, many prophets spread out over hundreds of years, that they predicted the same thing, which they themselves didn't understand. It's no coincidence that what the apostles witnessed and bear testimony to actually fulfilled the very things which the prophets were talking about. It's no coincidence because this is not knowledge that, that man has made up. This is knowledge that has come from God. And so in verse 19, Peter says that this is knowledge that we should pay attention to. Because he, he says that the gospel is like a light that is shining in a dark world. Um, he refers to the, the bright morning star, do you see that? Which in, in Revelation is Jesus. What he's saying is that one day Jesus will come again. And we're going to learn a lot more about that when you get to chapter 3. Look forward to that one. And for Christians, that day when the when the new day dawns, when the bright morning star appears, that that will be the, the dawning of a, of a wonderful uh, heavenly reality for us. And so what he's saying is keep believing the gospel. Don't move from the gospel because it's true. He says, I've, I'm a witness to the truth of the gospel. The prophets were a witness to the truth that you now have the privilege of knowing in full. This is a very important issue, isn't it? Because if Jesus is not God, if his death on the cross is not paid for sin, uh, if, if Jesus was just a, a well-meaning Galilean preacher whose bones are still buried away in a, in a box somewhere in Israel... If the gospel is just a myth that's been made up by men, then, friends, we ought to um, close shop, shouldn't we? Because uh, it means that our, our faith is useless. We've believed in vain, and so we might as well just, as Paul says elsewhere, just eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, and there's no eternity 
we should live just like any other person if the gospel is not true. But if the gospel is true, then that has deep and profound implications. And so this is an important issue because there may be times when we're tempted to doubt. You know, perhaps it's that in that quiet, reflective moment when you think, well, you know what, I've kind of based my life on the gospel or I've grown up with, surrounded by the, the gospel, but is it really true? Or, or there may be a time in your life when things aren't going all that well and you kind of wonder if God really exists and loves you. Or perhaps a time in life when things are going very, very, very well and you're tempted to think, oh, maybe I just don't need God. Or times when we're confronted by other spiritualities, spiritualities which may be drawing us onto some different message, drawing us away from Jesus, or even the... uh, the view of truth that exists in our culture today which says that actually there is no absolute truth. (laughs) You believe in Jesus, that's good, that's true for you. I don't believe in Jesus, that's good, that's true for me, it's all true and there's no absolute truth. And so in times such as these, what, what do we need to do? Well, one big thing is is to go is to do some hard thinking about the reports of those who claim to be eyewitnesses. I mean, that's, that's where you've got to start, isn't it? You've got to go back to what the eyewitnesses have claimed, people like Peter. Because if Peter really did see Jesus transfigured into his heavenly glory, if Peter and many others really did see Jesus raised from the dead, if what the prophets foretold has actually all come together in Jesus, then what that means is that these are facts of history, which means that the gospel's true. And nothing can change that. The way that I happen to be feeling, or whether I'm in an up in my life or a terrible down in my life, Uh, or what other spiritualities are on offer. Whatever's going on in my life does not change history. And so if Jesus really is risen from the dead and is now seated in his majestic glory, as Peter had a vision of, if that is true, then I'm not going to shift away from that. Uh, If that is true, then it must mean that I hold firmly to the gospel and keep on trusting God, keep on trusting Jesus, keep on living in obedience to Jesus, irrespective of how I might be feeling and irrespective of what else is going on in life. Because the gospel is based on history. It's based on an eyewitness, on eyewitness accounts. And nothing can change who Jesus is and what he's done. So we need to 
take heed of Peter's message. It's good also to be like Peter and to leave a legacy ourselves, isn't it? There's a godly Christian friend uh, I've known for about 20 years plus who was taken by God into heaven um, as a younger woman uh, just a couple of weeks back, Uh, interestingly on Resurrection Sunday. That's not a bad day to go to heaven, is it? On Resurrection Sunday. And uh, there was about 1,200 people who came to her Thanksgiving service. That's also not a bad send-off, is it? And I guess that's because of her youthfulness and uh, the way that she lived. What was interesting to me was that knowing uh, that she was dying, she did do a lot of reflecting on what was important in life. And uh, she wrote some stuff. She wrote about her confidence in the gospel and the legacy that she wanted to leave behind. Uh, Let me quote uh, some of this for you. She said, and I quote, I am so grateful to God for everything. I'm thankful for who God is, his majesty, his splendour and his promises. I'm thankful for my family, friends and life. I'm so thankful to God for the resurrection of Jesus, which means that I will have victory over death and don't need to fear pain or the dying process. And then she went on to express what really was her heart's desire. And her greatest desire was that was to talk about Jesus and to do so so that those whom she loves would be particularly her her kids, her family and her friends, her church friends, that those whom she loves would be firmly established in Christ, not moving away from the truths of his death and his resurrection and the promise of eternal life. Sounds a bit like Peter, doesn't it? Who wanted to leave a legacy, not just for his readers, but for people like us as well. To make sure that people like you and me would know that this is fact, that there was eyewitnesses to this, that nothing can change history, so that we would never shift from the gospel. Well, look, let's pray, shall we? Father, we do thank you for the great way that you've revealed uh, the unfolding mystery of the gospel and made it clear in the person and the work of Jesus. We thank you for the prophets who spoke so faithfully and predicted the coming uh, day of your king. We thank you for Peter and the other apostles that they witnessed Christ's uh, majestic glory and his resurrection and ascension to heaven. And Father, we thank you that uh, they were so committed to the reality of that, that they preached it and they wrote about it so that people like us could hear it and 
believe and be saved. Father, we pray for ourselves in times that do affect us where we're um, caused to ask questions and to wonder uh, and it's good to ask questions. We pray that uh, in doing so that we would go back to the historical account and remember about Jesus who's died and risen again for us so that we would not move from the gospel but would remain faithful to you until the day that we die. And we pray that we would be people who'd be used by you to create a legacy of those who would come after us, believing and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and they themselves knowing the hope that we so dearly love. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.